Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Muy buenos dias. Wake up, America. It's Monday, March 6th. Good morning and welcome back. To the final hour of Morning Air, I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverance and producer Gabby in for Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond on this Monday, the second week of Lent. It's great to be with you to start your week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. I want to bring in uh, my partner, Glenn. Glenn, what are some of the big stories that you are keeping an eye on that are making headlines this morning here on this Monday morning? Another train derailment over the weekend in Ohio. It's another uh, Norfolk Southern train. This time, no dangerous chemical spill, which is good news. This happened just uh, several weeks now after uh, Palestine, Ohio, had a train derailment with uh, many, many chemicals released into the environment there, causing trouble still for people in the area, difficulty breathing and the like. But this uh, new train derailment, 20-some cars off the track, but uh, no spills of any sort there. A few tanker cars were among the cars that uh, got off the tracks. No chemicals were in there. Uh, so that's some good news, but uh, troubling. Third uh, derailment, John, in uh, since the first of the year in Ohio. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's concerning. It is concerning. And, and you wonder, you know, why uh, so many in such a short period of time just in the state of Ohio alone? Well, you wonder, too, you know, track condition as well. But uh, it looks like, uh, I mean, the, the, the uh, derailment for Palestine, they thought it was some bearings on a particular car to watch for. But more regulations uh, could be could be in store. Uh, a lot of trains are, are very long nowadays, run with very few folks. And so uh, uh, the actual people on scene are, are very few uh, for, for running a, a large pile of equipment. <laughs> and so uh, that's uh, one of the things that might be looked at in the near future as well. Uh, elsewhere, weather continues to be the story. Uh, winter unrelenting in parts of the west and, and north. Severe thunderstorms in the south causing uh, some havoc down there. But snow totals out west. Another batch of snow uh, in the Sierra Nevada uh, near Lake Tahoe. Some of the storm totals uh, for March 1st last Wednesday, 44 inches for the day up at uh, Donner, a little bit northwest of Lake Tahoe. Uh, totals 400-plus inches at uh, several of these uh, resorts in the area. Uh, you know, we're talking uh, over 21 feet of accumulated snow <laughs> in some spots. And so uh, amazing for skiing, a little dangerous in terms of avalanche uh, possibilities in some areas. And, uh, you know, when we're battling with a few feet in the driveway, you know, it could be worse, I guess. And it's not uh, just uh, out west, uh, also in the Midwest. Uh, in Kentucky, there's been reports of uh, powerful storms that, with uh, well over 100,000 people without any power as of this morning. Yeah, getting kind of an early start to thunderstorm season here, so I uh, do take care out there. But uh, the weather allows us to get out and, and do some things outside for sports. John, you know you like that. Now, Minnesota here, I was skating as recently as Thursday out in the back, but uh, you're uh, able to swing the bat down there in balmy Chicagoland. Uh, no skating around here. It was actually nice enough on Saturday. The, the sun was shining. It was about 50 degrees. I actually went out to a, a baseball field with AstroTurf and uh, hit uh, probably about a good 150 150- 
grounders and fly balls to my uh, high school uh, baseball player, to my Joseph, and uh, had a lot of fun. It was you know, nothing like father and son uh, bo- uh, really bonding together uh, out there. So uh, a shout-out to all the young guys that are getting ready for their upcoming uh, high school baseball seasons. The college season, of course, is is uh, is already in full swing. Uh, the major leaguers are doing their thing in spring training. Those games are underway. And the World Baseball Classic actually starts tomorrow uh, with a, a slew of games uh, on that uh, schedule. It's kind of like a baseball version of the World Cup, as I explained to my wife. You know, uh, baseball gives us hope, especially this time of year. As someone who has been ice fishing while listening to a Twins preseason game on the radio, baseball gives us much-needed hope this time of year, John. Yes. Uh, how? What is the saying? Um, spring hopes eternal. Uh, Hope springs eternal. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Close. All right. Uh, <laughs> as always, uh, thanks so much, Glenn. Hey, sure thing, John. And uh, we always start every hour, always in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord uh, for all the many blessings. Every day is a blessing. Every day is a gift. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And uh, traditionally, uh, on Mondays, we also pray for the souls in purgatory of our relatives and our loved ones who really do need our prayers. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I want to take a moment to talk about something that I'm very passionate uh, about. I want to remind you that uh, during this Lent, try to go to confession uh, if you can. It's a great way to have a clean heart and get ready for Holy Week, what I always call the three days that change the course of history, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday on Sunday, I had the blessing of being able to go to confession uh, before Mass, and i got to tell you, it feels great. You can't put into words the peace and the joy that you feel inside one's soul, uh, knowing that um, my sins are forgiven and you're in a state of grace. It's a great feeling. You can't beat it. And, uh, you know, to have a clean heart and, and to have assurance uh, that when the priest says, you know, uh, your sins are forgiven, uh, it's coming from our Lord Jesus Christ. After all, we go to confession uh, to our Lord Jesus through the priest. So try to do it. If you can, make time for it one way or the other. Uh, there's still plenty of days left here uh, during this time of Lent. Of course, uh, you can always uh, send us an email directly with any comments or show ideas, morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show. Now, this uh, morning we're going to continue our series on morality, virtue, and freedom with our spiritual director, Father Burke Masters. In uh, today's show, we're going to continue talking about the cardinal virtues. Today we're going to discuss the virtue of fortitude and uh, what the Catechism of the Catholic Church and Sacred Scripture uh, has to say about fortitude. Our number, again, if you want to be part of the conversation, 888 914 
Joining us live is our spiritual director, Father Burke Masters. He's the pastor of St. Isaac Joe's Parish in Hinsdale, Illinois, in, in suburban Chicago. He's also the Chicago Cubs Catholic chaplain, known as the baseball priest and a longtime Morning Air contributor. Good morning, Father Burke. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Great to be with you on yet another Monday. I hope you enjoyed our little baseball chatter there at the beginning. I did. Uh, yeah, I'm getting close to going down to spring training for a couple of days myself. And as you said, the weather's starting to get a little warmer here in Chicagoland. So everything's feeling like baseball. Just um, seeing a little baseball on TV yesterday just kind of uh, warms my heart. Uh, I love this time of year for so many reasons. You know, I, I like in Lent, like our spiritual spring training and just uh, uh, just sense of new life everywhere. And it's uh, it's not just the the big leaguers. It's fun this time of year to see the college guys. You know, you might even catch a Mississippi State game here and there on on uh, on, on television. Exactly. Yeah, there. Um, the SEC, you know, can and the South and the West can start playing in in mid February, which is one of the reasons why I went south. Uh, I was tired of practicing and playing uh, indoors for so long here in Illinois. So uh, eighty degrees and. Mississippi in February was a, a great attraction for me. Well, Father Burke, I, I got to tell you, and I'm sure you could appreciate this, as a baseball dad, I, I hit uh, probably 150 grounders and fly balls to my uh, high school freshman baseball player, Joseph, uh, on Saturday. It was a beautiful day here in the Chicago area. I am still sore from all those swings. So clearly I am not in midseason form yet. Yeah, those new movements and uh, maybe some blisters on the hands and uh, it's all it's all part of it, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Something that you know uh, very well firsthand, Father. Um, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the the cardinal virtues. Can you give us just a, a quick a recap of of uh, what we uh, chatted about uh, last week on the cardinal virtue of justice? Yeah. So justice. Uh, you know, I had always heard of justice, and I think courtroom, and it was kind of a nebulous term, and. Diving into the, the catechism, it's so clear. It says that uh, justice is giving God his due and giving our neighbor their due. You know, So everything that the virtues do are, are leading us to what Jesus calls the greatest commandment, love God and love your neighbor. And so the virtue of justice is saying, okay, what is due to God? Really everything. And, you know, our very life, our family, our friends, everything that we have is a gift from God. And so, like at Mass, when we say it is right and just to give him thanks, it, it means that it's the just thing to do is to thank God and praise God for all the gifts that we have. And it should make us think about, you know, going to Mass in a different way of just, okay, I'm going to go and receive and hear good music and preaching. I'm going to go and, in justice, I'm going to thank and praise God for all the gifts and blessings. I'm going to worship him today. And then justice toward our neighbor is, what do I owe my neighbor? Respect, honesty, you know, seeing the dignity of their person, um, not treating them as, as something, you know, for my pleasure, but seeing them, you know, as the child of God that they are, which informs many things then in the moral life. If I respect and honor my neighbor and give them their due, it uh, informs many of the things, many of the ways that I'm called to act as a human being. So uh, 
you know, these cardinal virtues, we already talked about prudence, then justice, today fortitude, and then next week temperance are all these virtues that are meant to lead us toward loving God and loving our neighbor, the greatest commandment. Well, Father Burke, uh, when I think of the virtue of fortitude, I, I, I always, you know, picture these, you know, athletes. I've heard baseball players talk about fortitude and, you know, the fortitude to, to, uh, to play so hard and to, and to overcome uh, adversary, uh, adversity uh, during a, a season. Uh, but there's more to fortitude than just that. Uh, can you tell us what the, the catechism teaches about the virtue of fortitude? Sure. I'll, I'll read this definition, and then we'll, we'll break it down. Um, so fortitude, it says, the Catechism in, in paragraph 1808 says, Fortitude is the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of good. It strengthens the resolve to resist temptations and to overcome obstacles in the moral life. The virtue of fortitude enables one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecutions. It disposes one even to renounce and sacrifice his life in defense of a just cause. So I know there's a lot there, but what this, and what this uh, moral virtue of fortitude is meant is to give us strength, to face difficulties, to face obstacles, to conquer fear, and to be willing to sacrifice even, I know that sounds scary, even unto death for a just cause, which ultimately the greatest cause is, is Christ. It, it, that strikes me when, I don't know, uh, I love the, the series, The Chosen. And one of my favorite scenes is Jesus with his 12 disciples there. They're, they're not sure what they're getting into, and he's starting to lay out the plan. He's sending them out two by two here early on to heal and to, to prepare places to receive him. And, uh, and they come to a point where they say, uh, one of them asks him, so we can die doing this? And he, he just kind of lets that question hover over them as if to say it's a possibility. Of course, most of them do die as martyrs. There's that sense of, wow, they then needed this gift of fortitude, this virtue of fortitude to, you know, overcome their fears and to realize there's no greater, there's no more just cause than, than following Jesus. So fortitude is, is a virtue, uh, but it's also uh, one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, that uh, we receive at confirmation. Um, is there any difference, or are we talking about the same thing? No, it's a good question. So uh, we just had our confirmations here uh, last weekend, and, you know, they have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and then you have this, this moral virtue. And there is a difference, but they, they go hand in hand. So... Um, so when we, when we talk about a virtue, it means that we're, uh, we're using our will. We're engaging our will and building up good habits to build virtue. The gift of the Holy Spirit is this pure gift of God's grace. And so uh, an example that we use is uh, virtues are like rowing in a boat. So, you know, we're, we're uh, using our, the oars to row the boat. It's a human act. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to the virtue, are like the wind blowing in the sail. So this is the movement of God, and this is just pure receptivity on the human part. So um, I hope that makes sense. The, the difference between a virtue is engaging our will and, and then um, 
the the gifts are this this pure gift of God, and they both go hand in hand, uh, working toward uh, loving God and loving our neighbor. Great analogy. I love that analogy, uh, Father Burke. Um, And it reminds me that sometimes people forget to put their sails up. They try to do it on their own strength uh, without the sails of the Holy Spirit to help them smooth, smoothly glide over the water. Amen. One of the the heresies that has been common, I think, for the last 2,000 years is called Pelagianism, which is a, a belief that I can do it myself. I can earn my salvation. I don't need God and, and God's graces. And so virtue, sometimes when we talk about virtue, somebody might think that, well, I have to do this all on my own. I'm, I'm engaging my will. But we all, always have to you know, include prayer and, and ask for God's graces to, to help us uh, to build virtue. So it's this ongoing cooperation with God. Everything begins with God, and then uh, God invites our cooperation in in growing in holiness. So this is a, it's a very good uh, caution that you know, we're not trying to earn our salvation. We can't earn it, but we can, uh, uh, by our own works, but we can cooperate with God's abundant graces. Can you talk a, a little bit about the uh, effects of uh, this cardinal uh, virtue of fortitude? Yeah, so... Uh, Let's look at, again, what the Catechism says. So it ensures firmness in difficulties is the first phrase. And so think about maybe people who have uh, physical limitations or, or health issues. The first person that comes to mind is uh, I was a couple of years ago, I was given the book about St. Margaret of Castello, who uh, was blind uh, and she, she had a lot of physical maladies. So much so that her parents, who were very uh, well-to-do, were embarrassed about her, and they locked her in a room. They didn't want anybody knowing about this daughter of theirs, and they just acted almost like she didn't exist. They would give her food to survive. Horrible existence. And uh, they they left her in this town one time just to, just to kind of uh, get rid of her. And uh, she was brought into a family. She was raised... Uh, she actually become, uh, became a religious sister and, uh, and this incredible saint. And she just had incredible human suffering, but she had this, uh, this virtue of fortitude that overcame all of these physical limitations. Uh, it, it, it helped her keep her eyes on the goal, which was she had such a love for Jesus and, and, and couldn't wait to meet Jesus in heaven. It helped her overcome everything that she experienced. And I encourage uh, our listeners to read this little book. It's, it's not very long, but boy, if we think we're, we have suffering, um, it's usually nothing compared to some of, these, uh, some of these saints who do the gift of fortitude have overcome so much. Just uh, in our more modern times, uh, can you imagine uh, what uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe went through uh, during uh, World War II in, in that Auschwitz uh, death camp? I mean, you, you talk about uh, relying on the Lord and, 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 and needing fortitude, uh, clearly. Uh, what a great example. Exactly, and that's, that's one of the uh, uh, effects of this uh, virtue is to enable one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecution. So I think most of our readers probably know the story, but he's in the concentration camp. They call the name of this man uh, to be 
next to die and and the man cries out for his wife and children you know he's a young father and uh, maximilian colby a priest hears him and he said take me instead and uh, maximilian colby then went on to his own death beautifully this this young man survived the camp and was present at saint maximilian colby's um uh, uh you know mass where, where he was uh beatified and uh, canonized as as a saint. And so, yeah, not many of us, you know, would be able to do that, would be able to give our lives for someone, but that's this virtue. I, I, I'm sure he had both the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the virtue of fortitude to say, yeah, this life is temporary. I believe that there's life after this life, and I want to give this young man uh, time with his with his wife and children. And what an incredible story. Father Burke, um, when I think of fortitude, I, I can't help but think of, of St. Paul, probably, you know, uh, the greatest example out of all of these saints, uh, what he went through and uh, just his incredible uh, faith in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Uh, it, that can give us strength if we meditate on, on the scriptures. Paul has a lot to say uh, that ties into fortitude. Yeah, I, I never understood that scripture until I got to seminary. I thought, when I'm weak, I'm strong, because as athletes, we're all taught to, to work out and build up our bodies and, you know, to be strong. But what St. Paul's referring to is when I am aware of, of my weaknesses, my sinfulness, and in that, I lean on Christ. I allow Christ to enter, and I allow the, allow the Holy Spirit to work in that area. That's when I become strong, because, again, going back to Pelagianism, if I'm trying to do this all myself and, and think I don't need God, that's when I'm really going to be weak. But it's when I, I admit that, boy, I, I can't do this, but with God, I can. You know, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's that uh, that gift and the virtue of fortitude. Uh, um I can think of many times in my own life where uh, I, I struggled with Pelagianism, you know, as a young man thinking, I, I've got this. And now I realize it's when I am weak, when I realize I can't, but we can. Uh, that's where this gift of fortitude comes in. And um, I remember a priest saying one time, he said, we should lean so heavily on Christ to the point where if he weren't there, we would fall over <laughs> That's how much we should lean into and, and onto Christ. But when we're trying to stand up in, in, in ungodly self-reliance and try to do this all on our own, um, that's what, actually when we're going to be our weakest. Fantastic uh, teachings on fortitude. Really appreciated, uh, Father Burke, as always. Uh, thanks so much for, for being with us this morning. My pleasure. God bless you, John, and uh, all who are listening today. Many blessings to you. Father Burke, Masters, the baseball priest and longtime morning air contributor. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a former abortionist, Dr. John Brukowski, the founder of Divine Mercy Care and Tepeyac OBGYN. He's going to be with us to explain why abortion is not health care and never is medically necessary. So stay with us as this Monday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. It's a beautiful day. 
Happy Monday. Welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Gabby in for Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday morning in the second week of Lent. You can find us on Twitter, our handle at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from Luke 9.23. Jesus the Lord says, If any man would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Especially during this season of Lent, we remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to follow the Lord. We have to accept our daily crosses and unite them to the Lord. Our suffering has great value and can be redemptive if we offer that suffering up and unite our small little crosses to the big cross of Christ on Calvary. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that my good buddy Drew Mariani prays every afternoon on the Chapel of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, according to our next guest, many states are fighting to codify abortion laws in this post-Roe America. One of the greatest lies spread by the pro-abortion left uh, in America today is that we need to intentionally end the life of an unborn baby in order to save the mother's life. Check out uh, the audio from this short video on Twitter from the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. I'm Dr. Christina Francis. I'm a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist, or OBGYN. Let's be clear about one thing. Treating ectopic pregnancies or miscarriages is not an abortion. I think it's really important that we clear up this misconception that's out there, that if a state outlaws abortion, it will prevent physicians like me from taking care of women with ectopic pregnancies or miscarriages. How do I know this isn't the case? Because in my entire career, I've never needed to perform an elective abortion. And yet, I've been able to take care of women with ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages throughout my career. Joining us uh, live for much more perspective is former abortionist turned pro-life OBGYN, Dr. John Brokowski, to explain why abortion is not health care and is never medically necessary. Dr. Brokowski earned his medical degree from the University of South Alabama College of Medicine back in 1987. He completed his OBGYN residency in 1991. He's the founder and president of Divine Mercy Care and the founder of Tepeyac OBGYN in in Fairfax, Virginia. Dr. Borkowski is also the author of his latest book with Elise Daniel, Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine, which is available from Ignatius Press. Good morning, Dr. Borkowski. Welcome back to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to be with you uh, once again. Hey, John, it is wonderful to be with you all today, too. Always a joy to be with you. Uh, doctor, uh, based on uh, your experience as a former abortionist, uh, what is really behind abortion? So I performed abortions because it was part of the practice of OBGYN. I did it during the first two years of my residency. Now, for 35-plus years after that, I have practiced excellent medicine without ever having to resort to abortion. What's behind this myth is that 
Roe v. Wade came about because doctors at the Mayo Clinic and the leaders of the American College of OBGYN wanted to protect themselves from performing abortion. It's a political issue. Abortion entered medicine at a political time that was quite volatile during the sexual revolution. It was part of our moving away from the foundations and the traditions of Hippocratic medicine to a more progressive, enlightened belief that abortion, by killing the unborn fetus, the child, inside the womb of their mother, that that was good medicine, that that was health, healthy for the poor because less children, more money, and that whole idea that death and murder in a profession of healing should be politically protected. That's the bottom line. Dr. Burkowski, um, my wife tells me that she cringes when she hears uh, abortion being described as uh, women's health care. What do you say to folks who really do believe that they really have been so indoctrinated and brainwashed that they actually think that abortion is women's health care? So for someone who's performed abortions, I have done them both ways. So my experience is that when you pose the practical medical aspect of killing someone or something, killing a human life in order to benefit, it goes against the heart of the profession that says do no harm. And our profession goes back millennia to caring for the least. It was out of the Catholic Church in the 3rd and 4th and 5th centuries, first with the Desert Fathers, but then with the guilds that came up later on, the thousands, in the 900s, in the 1200s, 1314, then in Florence in 1300, we were actually caring for people that were not in the military. Remember, Rome had hospitals, but it was only for their soldiers. And so what happens is we have a tradition now Can you imagine telling a mother psychologically and integratedly to look at her whole person and say, ma'am, we're going to have to kill your baby in order to save your life? That's absurd. That is bad psychology. It's bad medicine. It's bad. It it, it may be health care where patients are clients and customers, and they can demand it because they think they want it. But no, medicine is about patience, and it's about that old balm of Gilead. It goes much deeper than just the human flesh or the desire. We treat disease, and children are not sexually transmitted diseases, period. Dr. Burkowski, I think you summed it up pretty well there. Can you talk about some of the most life-threatening circumstances that are so oftentimes used to justify abortion? Well, first off, they're now using miscarriage and ectopics because they're trying to blend the narrative that abortion is essential health care. And since ectopics are one in a hundred, say, or miscarriages might be one in 50, one in 
30, maybe one in five. Who knows? You know, we, we, that the data is being challenged. Science is about debate. Now, they're trying to say that we need abortion for ectopics and, um, and miscarriages. That's so far from the truth. We didn't have to resort to abortion before Roe, during Roe, or after Roe. So many of the time, so much of the time, over 95%, those conditions, the baby's already dead. And when you are treating a hemorrhage or an infection or an ectopic, a live baby in the tube of its mom, you treat the disease, the scar tissue, the hemorrhage, the infection. You never target the child, because remember, abortion or feticide like homicide, the end product of an abortion, a elective abortion that we're talking about politically, not the, not the scientific term of a missed abortion or a, you know, or, 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 you know, we use the word abortion in a scientific way, but when we're talking to a patient, it's a miscarriage. It's an ectopic. So that's one thing. Now, let's go forward and say, heart disease, diabetes. Remember, in 1950, diabetic mothers often died in pregnancy. Now, because of excellent medicine and because of excellent science, we treat the woman with diabetes. We don't kill the baby to save her life because the pregnancy is going to hurt her. That's what we've been doing for 50 years, and it's been the default. Rather than care for two patients, which is what my book is about, how I came to realize this reality, that I care for the maternal patient and I care for the fetal patient as a physician, as a professional, as a doctor. And what happens is, is that when mom has pulmonary hypertension, that's where her lungs are filled with high blood pressure, and it's very detrimental towards her life, or maybe lupus, you can get both mom and baby as far along as possible before you ought to deliver them. Whenever it happens in a very, very, very rare case before viability, you're always treating the disease. You're not ever directly intending the death of the child. And so this is how it happens. And when the child inside the mom is so sick and and so severely sick that it's, quote-unquote, incompatible with life, wait a second, only people who start dehumanizing the victim, the mother and the child, they use that language. We have used a perinatal hospice program where you literally harbor the child in the hospice of the womb. And remember, for all our audience and Father Rocky and the rest of you all there at Relevant, the, the Hebrew word for heart, the deepest part of your being. Imagine what a mother's heart is. Imagine pondering all this in your heart, like we're supposed to do in Lent, according to what the Mother of God, Blessed Mother, has encouraged us. You ponder it in your heart, but for us, the heart is the heart, the gut, or the womb. And for us men, it's the testicle. I, what, see, this is all... This is the deepest places where we make decisions that are not only matter now, but for eternity. It's much more than the physiology and the chemistry and the biology. It's the psyche. So real women's health care is about using the science to care for two patients as far as you can 
always directing your, your, your focus on the disease, never the patient with the disease. As Dr. Jerome Lejeune said, you always hate the disease but love the patient. That's the foundation of medicine. I've made that my foundation. I think and talk and listen to him almost daily, even though he's gone on to eternity and he's being looked at for sainthood in the Catholic tradition. I just know that there, is, there has to be a better way than abortion, and we've done it for 35 years at Tepeyac OBGYN, and now we're teaching others how to do this at Divine Mercy Care. Dr. Burkowski, I so much appreciate your passion. Uh, it, you know, the term incompatible uh, with life, uh, it's, it's pretty <laughs> well, unbelievable alive. that, right, <laughs> you know, so many, um, you know, moms who've been told that their child is incompatible with life uh, then goes on to, to live and come out perfectly normal. So I want to maybe chat a little bit about that. And also uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar with your powerful story, I want you to share that with us uh, on the other side. I want to open up the, the phone lines. Uh, if you have any thoughts on why abortion is absolutely not health care and never medically necessary, we're taking your calls for former abortionists and now uh, pro-life champion OBGYN, Dr. John Brukowski. 888-914-9149 is our number. 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short time out. We'll continue our discussion with Dr. Brukowski. Stay with us. There's more to come on the other side. Most people in the medical community believe that life begins at implantation. It's embryologically and genetically distinctly human, because it's not an oak tree, it's not a bird, it's not a car, it's not, you know, it's not a cat. And it's distinct from mom or dad. I'm not in the business of, you know, guessing or becoming less precise. I'm in the business of science. It's human and it's alive at fertilization. Clearly, it's not just a clump of tissue, but that's just a justification that people use um, to convince themselves that abortion is okay or to convince others. And there was a powerful excerpt uh, from my pro-life documentary, uh, The 40 Film. And you heard uh, our uh, guest this morning, uh, former abortionist Dr. John Brukowski, uh, present-day OBGYN and the author of Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Care. Again, if you want to be part of the conversation this morning, 888 Four, nine. Uh, Dr. Burkowski, uh, I wanted to go back uh, to uh, your powerful uh, story. Uh, you, clearly, uh, you, your story has, has touched a lot of hearts uh, o- over the years. Uh, for any of our listeners that are not familiar uh, with it, can you give us a, a brief uh, version of uh, your incredible conversion from pro-abortion uh, doctor to a pro-life champion? Sure, buddy. Uh, Sure, Johnny. Um, I grew up in a wonderful, Bible-strong, deeply Catholic Polish family in northern New Jersey. But through, and my mom and dad were very pro-life and uh, very faithful and um, uh, very concerned about loving God and loving neighbor. But through education, I'm 62, through high school and college and medical school, I slowly slipped away into that tyranny of relativism that Pope Benedict tried to warn us about. And so little by little, I became a man and woman pleaser 
rather than someone who feared the Lord. And looking back, because the fear of the Lord is what? The foundation of wisdom. I lost the connection to truth, beauty, the good, and joy. And I pursued myself, my psyche, and I pursued um, my desires in a world that I was God, rather. So I committed the same sin that Adam and Eve did, the original sin that you so eloquently talk about on this radio station, Father Rocky talks about. And I ended up believing that abortion was excellent health care, and in order to do that, I had to perform abortions. And so I did it, but it's also, remember, because it's politically motivated, the American College of OBGYN is almost like a political action committee. They've never come down on the side of reasonable or uh, closely aligned um, controls of abortion. It's always abortion on demand because it's a woman's right. And now that we're seeing in states across the country that are abortion destinations, they're now protecting abortionists from prosecution. So I did them at the size of a peanut, a plum, and then two to three to four pounds. And so when that happens, your heart hardens. And as the data keeps coming in on abortion and breast cancer, abortion and preterm labor, abortion and depression and mental illness and substance abuse and addiction, you harden your heart because you believe you're doing the right thing for your patients but before you, you don't see that. You see more and more people who have had their abortions regret it. And then you see others leave the industry in order to become pro-life. And women cannot shout their abortions because it's a shadow. It's shameful. It's necessary because most women say they have no choice. After partnering with pregnancy centers in our region, for over 30, you know, 30 plus years, the commonest phrase is, I had no choice, John, Dr. John, I have to do this. I had to do this. Now, so what happens is, is that one day on a crazy uh, schizophrenic night, I was saving a baby in one room at the same age of 25 weeks. I was killing a baby in the next room, and a doctor came in and said, hey, you're better than this. Have a cup of coffee with me tomorrow. And the very next day, she said, you got to go on a retreat, find Christ. I just got back from Medjugorje. I know you're not Catholic anymore, but go. My mother said two days later, oh, you want to come with me there? I said, sure. And there on the hill, through the love of the Mother of God, I, in prayer, touched the heart of mercy. And coming off that hill, I was a new wineskin. My leprous lesions left. My scales fell off my eyes, and from that moment on, there was a better way because I'm beloved. I'm loved. Dr. And that's what my book is about. And it's, so about, it's about just how we started, and, and we, it's all the way up to the time where we started uh, our practice, my wife and I in our basement, Tepeyac OBGYN. 
I started to say that it, there's so much to talk about. We just, I wish we had <laughs> yeah, yeah, another okay. hour together. No, no, no. Real briefly, uh, we, we have about 45 seconds. Uh, the importance Great. of Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness yes, of the unborns, yes, yes. to bring you back, uh, not only to the Catholic faith, but also to found uh, your uh, Tepeyac OBGYN and later so, the Divine Mercy Care. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, absolutely, Johnny. The year between medical school and residency, a dear friend of mine took me to help him with a priest friend of his when I was lost. And there at the Basilica, because we grew up in a great family, I knew the story of Juanito Diaguito. I loved it. Loved it. And there, and there I am in front of the image, and I heard, why are you hurting me? I walked away. But it laid the seed in the foundation. I put Tepiak in the name of our practice to remind us, hey, this is why, we, this is why I do what I do, and I'm so weak, I need help. And Our Lady is always there pointing us to Christ to say, do whatever he tells you. My apologies uh, to Carla from Milwaukee. We're just flat out of time. We have a hard out. Uh, Dr. Bukowski, thank you so much for being with us. God bless you for everything that you do. God bless you, buddy. Again, the name of the book, uh, Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life-Affirming Medicine, available from Ignatius Press. And now it's time for yet another episode of Glenn's Story Corner. Our story today is called The Mirror by Lynn Phipps Atlin. Hoss, our wired-haired dachshund, is a problem. Whenever he's on my bed and he stands up and turns a certain way, he begins to bark frantically at the image he sees in my dresser mirror. Even though he's no longer a puppy, he still does not recognize himself in the mirror. This lack of recognition not only frightens him, it sparks a series of distressing growls and the like. I've tried picking him up and placing him directly in front of the mirror, but he refuses to look himself in the eye and acknowledge the image is really reflecting. I thought long and hard as to why Hoss, unlike the other dogs who learn to recognize themselves early in puppyhood, still does not realize who he's seeing in the mirror. I think perhaps it's because he's been raised by two Scotch collies. Denby and Belle have parented Hoss. He goes everywhere they go and mimics their behavior. I've come to the conclusion somewhere in his doggy brain he sees himself as a collie. Thus his own reflection startles him. He thinks it must be a strange dog that somehow has gotten into the house. Unfortunately for Hoss, until he has the courage to look himself in the eye in the mirror and accept himself with delight for who he really is, he'll never feel safe or comfortable around this other dog. Likewise, as people, we too can have a distorted or totally unrealistic image of who we really are. For reasons too numerous to delve into, many of us, when looking into a mirror, view ourselves as ugly, fat, skinny, stupid, plain, unpleasant, too short, too tall, or any number of other unflattering ways, instead of seeing ourselves for who we truly are fearfully and wonderfully made by the Lord God of the universe, a fact of creation that makes us, each and every one, beautiful. So next time you look in the mirror, don't be like Hoss. Rather, look yourself square in the eye and begin to praise God for exactly the way he saw fit to make you. As you continue to do so, you'll be surprised at how quickly your past image of who you are will begin to transform itself into whom you truly are, a creation of godly beauty and love. Psalm 139, 13 through 15 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. 
Beautiful scripture, a great reminder. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Really do appreciate it. Uh, remember, you can download any of Glenn's Story Corners or Morning Air conversations or segments that you might want to listen to again or share with others online at relevantradio.com or just go to the Relevant Radio mobile app, go to Shows on Demand, and then you can download our podcast. That'll do it for this Monday edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverens, of our producer uh, Gabby Burke, in for Sarah, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Tuesday on the next Morning Air. The Patrick Madrid Show is warming up in the bullpen.